right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam Brevetta, I am Derek Johnson. We've got a short show today. We're out at 515 for pregame coverage as we scoot over on KLWN and KLWN.com. Lawrence High taking on Shawnee Mission Northwest. We'll have the girls game, which starts at 530, and the boys game starts around 7 o'clock. So it should be some good high school basketball action on the airwaves tonight. Adam Trevetta and Craig Hershiser will have the girls game. I'll have the boys game with Craig later on in the night. Hey, Derek, you want to guess what? random holiday today is i know yesterday was national golden retriever ga- day oh happy, good for how, with kona what'd you do to celebrate with kona well, we just like played with her all night she had Man. a wonderful night she's a great dog what what's today though uh national working naked day so how about okay. you get off my back huh <laughs> yeah I, I you've t- been bothering me all day now you, you know why that. you should have said that when you came into the office naked today you scared a lot of people if you yeah. were just led with that Everything Don't worry. Okay. For anybody attending that uh, basketball game tonight, <laughs> I'll be clothed for that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, apparently yeah. it's national. Which I, you know, to be clear, we're kidding. Um, I am. Uh, I, I'm clothed. Like you're kidding. Is I'm, in, I'm, no, I'm clothed. I, we're, but I'm, is it actual that day? It, it, no, it is. We're d- yes. Today okay. is National Working Naked Day. We're joking about the fact. You know, I I am clothed. Yeah, speak for yourself. Um, but how about you know working from home really changes the game. You can actually do that now. Yeah, my wife works from home. I wonder if I'll come home. And well, anyway. shoot her a text. Let yeah, her right. know. Okay. Um, good news. Ochag Baji gonna be playing tomorrow. That, yeah. according to KU spokesperson, and then uh, affirmed by Bill. Self. Did we ever figure out if it was a if it was a contact tracing or a positive test? They said he tested negative today. I. I, I don't think they ever shared. I think they're going to operate under the the HIPAA stuff, which most sports people don't actually understand what it is. Yeah, that's that's a whole other well, conversation. To be clear, I can't say I understand what it is. Yeah, well, I, I can say me telling you I got the vaccine that does not violate HIPAA. No, it does not. I know I'll, that. I'll just much. say this: like HIPAA prevents a doctor from not yeah, yeah, sharing yeah. medical information. It yeah. does not share if if Ochag Baji walked up to me and was like, "Hey, this is what happened with my COVID situation." But you can't tell anyone because HIPAA. I'd be like, no, I never yeah, took the oath yeah. of like the doctor that I can't share that. That is not HIPAA. So anyway, um, in this instance, it would be no different than them saying he's got a sprained ankle. Yes, and so he's going to be playing tomorrow. It also sounds as if he'll be practicing today, which I think that's that's a big key here, right? Um, I don't know how much one practice is specifically going to do, but Especially that's something you always worry about. Day before game, I don't right. think they go too hard. Yeah, that that too. It might be more walkthroughs and stuff, but that is something that I would be worried about. I mean, we saw it after the. Uh, COVID outbreak that KU had headed into the NCAA tournament last year. Once you come back, like sometimes it, it takes a little bit of time to get reacclimated, to shake the rust off, to um, get back fully conditioned into the game. 
And I think that is a little bit of a worry for a guy who's as important to your team as anyone in the country in your biggest game of the season now at home against Baylor. We don't really know the answer to how the response is going to be there, but certainly that would be good news for KU. And it has only been less than a week. This isn't the situation of a quarantine where it's been two weeks off and then he's not going to be able to practice before the game. But you need Ochai Maybe not the level he was against Texas Tech, right? It doesn't have to be that. Well, but you need be sweet if you can get that. Yeah, it would. You need positive contributions from him in this game because Baylor's that good. And that's why I think it's important, and I agree, they're not going to share whether or not he was positive and, or if this was a contact tracing thing. But the reason that is important is even if he was positive with mild symptoms, and again, I don't know if he was. I'm saying if he was, even if the symptoms were mild, there's still a chance that that could have done some you know, some damage to his lungs that not, not anything permanent, hopefully, but still from a basketball standpoint, beyond just shaking off the rust of missing a couple practices and missing the game, uh, what was that game in Ames Tuesday? Yes. Uh, missing that game beyond just shaking off that rust. If he actually did have COVID, even if it was just a short, mild case that could still present some conditioning issues for Ochai. Uh, and again, it doesn't matter because they're not going to tell us if he did or not. And the point is now he's negative. If he did have it, it, it wasn't, you know, it didn't last long. And, and from a health standpoint, it's very important that and it's a good thing that he's back healthy just as a human being. And then from a basketball standpoint, you just hope it didn't wear out his conditioning too much because yeah, you're right. They don't need 37 points out of him tomorrow, but they need to play. They need him to play like a, a, you know, like a player of the year candidate. Baylor is really, really good. They're balanced. They have a top 10 offense. They have a top 10 defense, according to Ken Palm, adjusted offense and defensive efficiency. Um, here's what they do well, first of all. They shoot the ball really well. They're top 30 in two-point rate. They're top 40 in three-point rate. Um, they don't get the ball blocked very often, and they get a ton of offensive rebounds. Not quite to Kentucky, who's number one, but they're number five. They're not far behind where Kentucky is at in terms of being an elite offensive rebounding team. Now, they don't get to the free throw line of 10, and they don't convert them that well. They do turn it over a little bit too much. They do get the ball stolen from them a little bit too much. But problematic a little bit there is the fact that Kansas is 10th in Big 12 play in steal rate defensively and turnover rate defensively. So I don't know how much you'll actually be able to take advantage of Baylor's biggest weakness on offense. That's not great. Now, on the other end of the floor, Baylor defense, really good. Um, I think I said they were top 10 defensively. They were for a while. They're actually just outside of it now. But they force, I mean, stop me if you've heard this before, a Big 12 team that forces a lot of turnovers. They are fifth in the country in steal rate. They are ninth in the, the country in turnover rate defensively. Um, now, it's it's weird because what's caused that defense to go down, in Big 12 play, the two-point defense has dropped a little bit. And overall this season, they're 164th in two-point defense. And in conference-only games, they're seventh. So defensively, they're really good. They create Se havoc. Seventh in the conference, right? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, they create havoc. They force turnovers, which that's problematic because we've seen KU have troubles that. They had 16 turnovers in the first half against Iowa State. They have left some openings for you to make shots inside. Now, knowing all that, the fact that Baylor's biggest weakness offensively is turning the ball over, knowing ba Baylor's biggest strength defensively is getting turnovers, mm -hmm. does that not tell you this should be a big game for the two-guard lineup, what we've been talking yeah, about all I week would, and Joe Yesifu? That was my immediate thought is, is we talked at length on uh, Wednesday about how well, or Thursday, 
um, about how well, um, you know, things went from a from a turnover or lack thereof standpoint with the two guard lineup with Yesifu and Dewan Harris. From what Bill and, and we'll play self audio later, um, but from what Bill self said today, it, it's looking like. I think it's very safe to speculate that Remy Martin will not be playing again tomorrow because of his leg. And and Self actually, and, and you'll hear the audio later, he actually made a point that I agree with fully. He'd rather have fewer games with Remy but have him at 95 to 100% than play him in more games but at a lower percentage health-wise. So I, I agree with what they're doing. And, yeah, this could be huge. You know, if, if Yesifu, what did Harris score against Iowa State? 14? 13. 13? Look, if Yesifu and, and Harris only combined for 15 points, but them being on the floor together limits the turnovers, that could do a lot for other players to, to score um, and, and you know to limit Baylor to do what they do really well defensively. Yeah, so that's, that's what I'm looking for. I think that really could be a big dynamic that helps KU win a game like this. But I am a little worried as well. The fact that KU does not really force turnovers, though it does go up when Joe Yesifu and you have the two-guard lineup on the floor. But how about this? I I did some uh, looking into some commonalities, things that, that have occurred among Baylor's losses. Uh, we've done this with Kansas. You know, it's, it's not a ton of games. It's three losses for each team, so not a huge sample size either way. But with Kansas, we found uh, a correlation with, you know, in games that they've been torched with their two-point defense or games where they've had, you know, high turnover rates or whatever it is. Here are the commonalities in the three losses for Baylor this year. There are three of them. One, of their three losses, all three of them are in their top nine worst offensive rebounding games Okay, by offensive rebounding rate. And So this isn't them, just amount that they got. It's not like... Because your no. your amount of your number of offensive rebounds could go down if you make more shots. Yeah, this is actually percentage of missed shots that wind up as offensive rebounds. Yeah, it could go down if you make more shots. It could go down if you're playing like a Virginia where the the pace is so yeah, slow, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, or on the flip side, it could go up if if you have games against um, teams who play more possessions. But so this is the rate at which this is basically factoring in that the fewer missed shots, whatever, whatever. Like their their home loss where they were upset by Oklahoma State. That was their worst offensive rebounding rate of the season. Okay. It was at 26%. Um, the Alabama games, Texas Tech games, those are their two other losses. Those were both in one of their lower games of the season this year. So it's not because, again, they're top five in offensive rebounding rate, and they're getting about 38% of their misses. It's not that you have to limit them to necessarily what Oklahoma State did, which was 26%, which is a huge drop-off. But, like, for instance, Texas Tech game, Baylor collected 35% of their offensive rebounds, which is still a good number. They just shaved it off a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's working on the margins there. Okay, the number two thing, commonality of Baylor losses. And this one I think is even more prevalent. This one might be the most prevalent. Three of their lowest games by two-point offense have correlated with losses. Three of their top five. Okay. They've shot... Under 50% on two-point shots six times this season. And lost three. And they're three They've and lost three. three of those. Okay. Yeah, I think that, um, so that tells you two things. Make them miss shots or make them take bad shots. Uh, and when they do that, get the rebound. So that's going to be big for, 
McCormick and Wilson are going to mean a lot in this game. Brown, too. I mean, Christian Brown, you know, I don't know. Has he had a double-double yet this year? I don't think he has. Maybe in the non-con, it's been a while. he's usually been reliable for at least six to eight mm-hmm. rebounds a game. So Brown, McCormick, and, and Wilson are going to be huge if the Jayhawks are going to win this game. They're going to be huge on the defensive side. McCormick, in two ways. One, preventing easy looks uh, from the from two-point uh, shot. Preventing easy two-point looks is what I'm trying to say very sloppily. Um, and then he'll also be very important in, if and when Baylor misses, getting that rebound to prevent the extra possession. Because if you're not if, if you're not a, a great offensive team, a way to mask that is by stealing more possessions. How much does that worry you, though? That a big chunk of this game is. I mean, I mean, if I told you like afterwards, after the Iowa State game, a big chunk of the game would be on David McCormick. But you knew if I like I, I you didn't know the final score, but you knew David McCormick was going to have fourteen and thirteen. You'd say, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But the problem is going into a game, you don't know if you're going to get 14 and 13, Dave. You don't know if you're going to get two and two, Dave. Exactly. Right? That's, and, and that's been the, the issue with him all year is his, is, is his inconsistency. He, and and I'm, I can't remember a game which he's, he's exploded against another really great big man. We talked about the matchup against Shibway last week, and, and he got – he really didn't – you know, really no Jayhawks played particularly well in that game. Um but he, um, yeah, he's. You just you don't you don't see um, you don't see Dave playing at a level that you can go game in. Okay, you know we'll be fine. Oh, this is this needs to be a Dave game. Well, great. You know Dave's been. You know we can we we're good to go. Um, but you have seen enough games that you know it's possible. Yeah, that, that's a little scary, it's, though. That that's you're... the weird thing is that you've seen enough to know that the really good Dave games aren't a fluke, but they just don't happen that often. It's not like he had two games where he got a double-double and he's been awful the rest of them. He's had enough really good games to make you know that it's in there. Yeah, that's just kind of a scary proposition that you could be relying on him in a big way in this game. And, and Baylor plays two big men. Uh, they're both athletic kind of rim runners. Not really guys that are going to you know, do it with their back to the basket on the block. But um, last year against Baylor, he had six points in the game on the road. He had 20 in the game at home, and he basically carried the offense. So it's it's just inconsistencies, but he will have a big impact. Now, the other thing, now Jalen Wilson as well, because he impacts the rebounding in a big part, and uh, Baylor's going to be playing Sochan or Sohan, I don't know how it's pronounced, and uh, Kendall Brown at the four, these these athletic four men. Like he's gonna have a, a heck of a matchup. He has to stay committed to getting rebounds. Baylor's just got a really good team. Um, here's the other thing that goes into it. Baylor's got some good guards that helps them force a lot of those turnovers. Their guards hit a lot of threes as well. James Akinjo um is really good at the point of attack. In terms of that turnover rate, which has been a problem for the KU offense this year, of the three Baylor losses. All of them have been the uh, among the six worst games for the Baylor defense enforcing turnovers. So by turnover rate defense, of the six lowest numbers, three of them have been losses. And as far as them forcing turnovers forcing or turning turnovers. the ball over, okay. So that that tells you a, a few things. They they well that that combined with the offensive rebound thing is the name of their game is stealing extra possessions. And 
right? I mean, yeah, yeah, know, getting, and, getting and turnovers think, and getting offensive rebounds. I, I think this goes in line with with the three point shooting. Like we always hear that uh, three point shooting is most deadly after an offensive rebound too. Yeah. And they are a really, really good three point shooting team. So um, if you're giving up offensive rebounds, it's going to make a good three point shooting. Everybody's team has, everybody's collapsed. Yeah, and they have a lot of good guard. James Akinjo. We don't know the status of of Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer who are two elite shooters from the outside, but Matthew Meyer as well. Like Those are four guys who can hit threes at a high rate. You cannot be giving them extra possessions, and that scares me for KU because that basically means to not be giving up those extra possessions. You need a big rebounding game from Dave and Jalen Wilson, which have been inconsistent, and then you need a good game from KU not turning the ball over, which has been hit or miss, though if they are going to play two guards, maybe it makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah, it, I think this, this game feels I'm not saying it'll it'll work out the same but I'm saying in terms of the stakes and what we can learn about this team it feels like the Iowa State game obviously this is a much better team than Iowa State but when you factor in the lack of Ochai we talked about this is a chance for KU to learn a lot about themselves and tomorrow at full strength this is well no not full strength because they don't have Remy um, but with Ochai at least this is a chance for this KU team to learn a lot about itself. What can they do a week after getting punked by a top? They weren't in the top 10 then, but I think everybody would agree that Kentucky should have been a top 10 team last week, and they are a top 10 team now. Um, top five team, in fact. So, you know, this is how do you respond? We saw how they responded in a hostile environment without Ochai Tuesday night after getting rolled at home. Now you, you play for the second time in three games, and for the second consecutive home game, you've got a top-10 team you're playing. How do you handle that? And and they can learn a lot about themselves tomorrow. I think that a win for KU, like, it's weird because I, I almost wonder if Baylor has, has more to play for here because if, if KU loses this game, there's still a, a path to them winning the Big 12 very easily. They'd have the same amount of losses in the loss column. With Baylor... Of course, they could still win the Big 12 if they lose this game. It, it'd only be a two-game difference with nine to go in a really tough conference. But that's really going uphill. If you're talking about they'd be down two in the loss column and KU would already have one win up on them. What's KU get, right now in the conference? Seven and one? Yeah, they have one less game than Baylor. So they're seven and one. Baylor is uh, seven and two. Um, so if Kansas goes to eight and one you're with a win on Baylor, you're starting to really question whether or not 14 and 4 gets it done. And that's that's basically where I'm going with this. What do you think if if KU wins this game? What do you think becomes the new magic number? Is it still 14? Is it 13 at I that think point? If KU wins tomorrow, 14 and 4 assures KU of a of at least a tie. I was already under that estimation though. Um yeah, yeah, okay. So this fair. doesn't change things for you then. Um, no, because I was well. No, I, I would go. I would go a step further and say it, it changes things in the sense that it, it really sets them up to get to fifteen and three. I don't think four. I, I think fourteen and four. They, okay, let me let me reword this. If they if KU wins tomorrow, that gets them to a point where fourteen and four not only assures them of at least a tie, it it way increases the likelihood that fourteen and four gets it done outright. I think if you win tomorrow, fourteen and four gets it done outright. I mean, at that point, Baylor would have three losses, right? Yeah. And, and in this tough of a conference, yeah, of course they could win out or or only lose one more, but I'm not going to bank on it. So yeah, I think that's how important this game is. 
if you, uh, you know, it, it's a chance to kind of squash the chances here for Baylor that if you win this game, the target goal would be 14, and that means that you would be inching your way closer. You would be getting your biggest win of the year. Um, forget like the seeding aspect of everything, but you're pacing well in in your road games. This is your biggest threat to losing a home game. You've already beat Tech at home, so. Uh, if KU wins this game on Saturday, it's obviously not pop the champagne time. I don't even think they do that anyway because they're college kids. But I yeah. think you're feeling really good about where they are in the Big 12 race. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be joined by Brandon McAnderson coming up at 3.40 to talk KU football. And then we'll be joined again later in the 4 o'clock hour by Brian Haney of the Jayhawk Radio Network. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Um, were you listening to the show on Wednesday? Do you have any idea what happened in the last Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk? Uh, no, I was not listening. I No. I beat you by a point. Excellent. No, wait, you beat me by a point. Excellent. Just kidding. Even better. Um, and I had negative. No, that's, I'm sorry. I, I've completely ruined this story. You won by three points. Mitch Lightfoot got me negative three. Okay. Okay. So that was not ideal. Otherwise, we would have tied for the first time. Do you think we'll tie at any point? Um, No. I, if I mean, it's just. We've been close. I, it's one of those things where I'm just playing. It's like the field versus one I mean, but team. But we've had the two one-point games. We've had a three-point game where the difference was me getting negative three from a player. Yeah. That's pretty close. I'll say it happens once. All right. Could be this week. Uh, you have the first pick. I am up seven to five. Who would you like? Uh, going back to old reliable Christian Brown. I think that's the smart play because with Ochai, like we said, we don't totally know. How conditioned he is, how well is he going to play coming off a brief COVID pause. But I will take Ochai number two. I just agree with you having him at number one. And then uh, pick number three, I'll go with uh, Jalen Wilson. He's just been okay. getting a lot of rebounds, getting you know doing everything for you. Rebounds are super valuable, too. You got that two points then. Um, this one's tough. Um, golly. Um so you got Jalen. I guess I, I we're just if we're looking at starters, I'll take Dave McCormick. I'm going to take him one of these two picks anyway. So Dave McCormick for one of these two picks. Um, for the next one, I will go. I'm going to say Dewan. I, I you know I don't know if he'll get as many points as he did Tuesday, but hopefully he gets some assists. Um. And, and, you know, we'll see. Okay, that is basically the starting five. So now it's who do I want off the bench? Uh, Mitch Lightfoot. Do I believe in the Joe Yesvu hype train? Is he going to play that many minutes? I kind of do want to because, as we just mentioned, playing a two-guard lineup could really help against a team like Baylor. And Self, I mean, kind of alluded to, a, you know, to maybe he was wrong about Yesvu before. I mean, he said that after the game. All right, I've been convinced. I'm taking Joe Yesifu, pick okay. six, new high for how high he's been taken in Rock Chalk, Big Hawk. Yeah, uh, we'll be throwing him a party. Um, and then my last pick, 
I mean, I could see a game like this, like K.J. Adams coming in and helping you out on the glass. Athletic big man against mm-hmm. the athletic bigs of Baylor. Um, but do I want to bank on that? Not really. He was, he was so skittish against Tech Kentucky. Like, you saw how much growing he has to do when he came in against Kentucky. I could go Mitch Lightfoot. It's either that or Jalen Coleman lands, who's mm-hmm. messed up both his wrists. I'll go with Mitch Lightfoot. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I've got how many more now? Just one. You just right? have one. So you yeah. could go Pettiford. You could go Jalen Coleman lands. You could go KJ Adams. I don't think I'm missing anyone. I yeah. I mean, I guess I'll go. That was the thing about Jalen Coleman lands is those wrists. But I, I'll I'll take him. Um, I just I, I don't see Pettiford. I think if they're going to run two guards, it's going to be the other one's going to be Yesufu a lot more than it's going to be Pettiford. Well, Pettiford got got some minutes in, but he didn't get the twenty something that. Yes, if who did um, uh, against Iowa State. So, yeah, give me um, give me Jalen Coleman lands, but I'm not thrilled about it. Okay, that is our Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. We also got to get on to our game picks here. Um, on to the NFL, where we'll start up. We're exactly at 500 on the year, 44 and 44. I know I'm really angry because I was doing really well. I'm at 60 and 43. We are picking the Pro Bowl, NFC minus one versus the AFC. Basically, pick them. Um, I, let's see, I saw the sheet earlier and I want to maintain pace with you. So I want us, if we're going to be both wrong, if we, if I'm going to be wrong, I want us both to be wrong. So I'm taking the NFC. Oh, I took the AFC. Then I take the AFC. Nope. You already took the NFC. You took, no, I saw the sheet earlier. You put NFC on not, there. I swear. Uh-huh. I swear. I'm still, I'm sticking with the NFC. You're okay. the cheater. I am taking the AFC because they're going to have to, a third of their quarterback snaps are going to go to Kirk Cousins. No, thank you. Um, uh, over cheater. under, 62 and a half. I actually like uh, this. I know we're going to be different on. I like the over. I have the under. I know. Um, the last game that was played, now it wasn't played, I think the last two years, due to I, I don't know why it wasn't played one of the years. I, I couldn't find a score, but um, three of the last four from 2019 back went the under, at least if it was the total of 62 and a half. And five of the last seven were under that point total. So I'm going to go with the under. You just immediately think, oh, Pro Bowl, nobody's going to play any defense or anything. But are they going to play offense? Are they going to actually try? I'll take the under. Okay, on to college basketball. Again, we don't have real lines, so we're going to do Ken Palm lines. We have four Top 25 matchups this weekend between top 25 teams on both ends of the court. Um, We're also going to pick the Duke-North Carolina game. Number 17, UConn, is at number 12, Villanova. Uh, The Fighting Jay Wrights are giving up eight points. Who's the the away team? UConn. UConn-Cornelius. Um, this is a big game for UConn. Are they back to be they they they're like twentieth or did they fall out of seventeenth the and they people? So they rose. Um, I don't know. I, normally, I would say UConn, but this goes back to the Vegas knowing things. Of course, we're going by Ken Palm, aren't we? Ken Palm's rarely that off, so give me Villanova. Okay, I am gonna go UConn. UConn's got a good defense. Um, it does. I don't know. It's it's hard picking against Villanova on the road. They're just so nails, and, and they really are starting to pick up their play right now. I just think because UConn can play a close game with a strong defense that'll travel well on the road, I like UConn to keep it at least within eight. 
Number 20, Iowa State at number 23, Texas. The Longhorns are giving up six points. Um, I think the Longhorns are, you could argue both these teams are angry. Uh, Texas lost to a rival in Chris Beard's former team. Iowa State lost a home game. Um, you said it. How, what's the spread? Six. Uh, Iowa State. I'm going to take Iowa State with the spread. I kind of think Texas wins. That was the thing. I was really hoping it would be like two. Honestly, there's not many Big 12 matchups where I wouldn't just say, give me the six points. Yeah, that's so many in this league. Right? Like, okay, maybe win. I don't like, know. You're going to have nights where it, it should be closer, but a team gets it to more like 11 because of free throws. And maybe maybe that's what they're thinking is going to happen, you know, in, in this game. But... It just doesn't it feel like a lot between those two it teams. It really does. It's two middle tier Big Twelve teams. I don't think that's six points. I think that's like two to four. So I'm going to take Iowa State with the points, and, and honestly, that might be my favorite bet here. Uh, number nineteen USC at number seven Arizona, and the Wildcats are giving up twelve points. Arizona's good, and mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Wildcats. And uh, they just beat a really. They, there's a potential for a letdown because that was a huge win for them the other night at home against number three UCLA. Um, it caused a, a, a USA or UCLA player um, to allegedly get so angry he spit at a fan. Um, so that was you know tells you the stakes of that one. Um, but I'm gonna say Arizona wins, covers. No USC players spit at fans. Mm, the under on the spitting on yeah. fans. I uh, will agree with you on the under. USC is ranked 19th in the AP poll. They're nearly 30 in Ken Palm, so Ken Palm doesn't love them. I I don't know. I think Arizona wins this one pretty handily, but I am worried about that letdown factor, like you said. Coming off that big UCLA win, you get revenge on them on your only Pac-12 loss of the season so far. I think USC at least keeps it closer than the spread. I, I'll say this. I like that it was, wasn't it like 76-66? Or 77 Against UCLA? Yeah. Yeah. I like that it wasn't like, you know, 78, 75 or, or, you know, 79, 78. I like that they kind of were comfortable within the last minute or so. Yeah. It was, it was, I think, a one point, a five point game with maybe four minutes left. And then they just kind of stretched it out and didn't really have to sweat it out over the last couple minutes. Number nine, Duke. The last time Coach K is going to be playing in the Dean Dome at North Carolina. This is the only time that you'll hear that mentioned over the next 24 hours. They'll never mention it again on ESPN that it's his final time in the Dean Dome. So uh, definitely don't play a drinking game for that. Who do you like? I want you to prove as a student athlete. I want you to improve as a person. I'm going to take the Duke Blue Devils. Mike Krzyzewski. That sounded like if Mike Krzyzewski... Like Richard Simmons combined with mixed Mike with no, I was thinking like a New Jersey secretary. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like Duke. Yeah, this is a top ten matchup if you're going by seeds and bracketology. North Carolina <laughs> is a ten, ten seed. Or yeah. is a ten seed and Duke is a two seed. Uh yeah, North Carolina just I'm honestly surprised it's only three on here because North like you said, North Carolina is like not that good. You know? The yeah. only thing that gets us going here is just like the rivalry factor. Exactly. And it's, it's in like, Chapel Hill. You know how much this would mean to North Carolina to, to ruin Coach K yeah. on his final trip in there? But they're just not very good. So I have a hard time seeing them win this game. More talent and better coach. Give mm-hmm. me them. And number I think eight, he's a better Baylor. coach than Hubie so far. Yeah. Number eight, Baylor at number 10, Kansas. 
The Jayhawks are favored by a point. Basically, they pick them. Yeah. I, man. I, this is such a difficult game for me. I go back and I mean, forth it, so it's much. It's a coin flip, right? Yeah, I'm going to take the Jayhawks. I think this is kind of one of those once a year you bill self games which like whoa that was amazing and so much fun and, and getting it done um i'm gonna take the jayhawks but i really i i can't i i i will and if i would have said baylor i would have immediately second guessed myself so i'm second guessing myself but i would have second my guess myself immediately even if i took baylor so i'm going with kansas i'm going baylor i'm, I'm just too worried that Baylor's loan deficiency on offense won't get exploited. Their turnover numbers, because KU has not been forcing turnovers. And I'm worried that if you told me right now, David McCormick is going to go out there and have one of those games like against Oklahoma State or against Iowa State on Tuesday night or uh, whatever, one of those games where he has 15 and 15, basically, I would say I'm taking Kansas. I really would. But it's just such an inconsistency trying to guess if that'll happen or not. So because it did happen on Tuesday, it's it's almost like I'm expecting it not to happen because it just did. And for that reason, I am taking Baylor in this game. Kansas has to be nails on the glass. They have to be uh, do a good job of forcing turnovers and not turning the ball over. And I'm not totally faithful that all those things are going to happen. So I will take the Baylor Bears. Real quick, um, sorry, I got to get some breaking news out here. It's not a huge deal, but the Chiefs have signed former Bucks wide receiver Justin Watson. I have no idea who that was. Um, for his career, he's got 23 receptions, 258 yards, two touchdowns. I doubt he be, but it. I. I. If it. If this just said practice squad, I wouldn't be bringing this up. But it looks like they signed him to the real squad. So, Schefter tweeted it. It's relevant. Nah, relevant to some. Others, nah. All right, Brandon McAnderson joins us next. This is RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Joined now on a Friday by Brandon McAnderson of the Jayhawk Radio Network, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU announcing their signing class officially. I, I guess as as we go over these, I kind of want to divvy these up into, into the different classes with the incoming freshmen and the incoming transfers. So starting out with the freshman class, uh, guys that are coming in that they've announced, Ethan Vasco, James Livingston, Joey Baker, Caleb Purdy, Mason Ellis, and Brian Dilworth. What's stood out to you the most about the freshman class that KU is bringing in? Well, one, I, I love the kid from Mulvane, Mason Ellis. I like his athleticism. You know, him and, you know, playing 4-8 ball in Kansas, I mean, it looked like a varsity blues case. I mean, he was everywhere. He could do everything. He's a high, high upside athlete. And the same with Brian Dilworth. Dilworth is the kind of person that um, Kansas needs to target. I think he has a similar talent profile as Kenny Logan. Different players individually, but you know, I've got a high upside three-star player that is getting you know the attention of a lot of big programs. Those are the kind of guys that can really thrive um, in this program. So I was really excited about him, and of course, the the big guys up front. I think you know, Coach Fuchs in the one season, not even a full year, we've seen him. I mean, the guy can coach that position. So I'm excited when you can get guys in there the kind of body potential as Livingston and then Joey Baker, a coach's son, um, a guy that's got a big time upside as well. So I did like a lot of those high school guys. And Ethan Vasco's stats are laughable. 
I think he threw eight touchdowns in their first playoff game. So these are big time guys, and I think they're people that are, are going to be names that, that you're going to hear from down the road. Okay, moving up a level then to, I guess, the JUCO transfer, which you just got one, which was Tavita Noah, who is a JUCO tight end from uh, Snow College in Salt Lake City. Is that something where you feel like that's maybe a clear indication? We know they, they want to play a lot of formations with multiple tight ends to kind of add to the wide zone scheme or just the blocking scheme or be multiple on offense. Um, is that kind of the indication of, like, uh, maybe the specific type of tight end because maybe uh, the prototypical tight end that KU was recruiting before this staff was maybe more geared to running uh, a passing offense or an open offense and maybe Noah can come in and, and kind of uh, get the blocking side of things going? But Noah, I think, is, I mean, the highlight tape was just him mauling people. You know, it was like 20 minutes of him just blocking people into through the turf, which I love that, especially in today's, you know, version of the game, tight end wants to catch the ball, you know, be all over the place. This guy is nasty and has those abilities to do things down the road, uh, down the field, excuse me, um, in the middle of the field and in some posts and maybe some jump ball stuff. So he has the athletic profile to do what you would want a modern-day tight end to do, but really takes pride in his blocking. I think adding a tight end of his level shows you how much they value that position. Um, you need depth there because they play two guys a lot, and also – it shows you how they want to build versatility in their run game and pass game with people that can do both. So I think it's a it's a it's a win win with that kind of player. And I just liked um, I just liked his tape and I liked his ability and I liked his nastiness. And you know, Polinicki is the tight ends coach, so you know it's his stamp of approval is official. On to the transfer portal, guys. How excited are you for the guys they're bringing in at the running back position, Savion Morrison and Kai Thomas? Really excited. I, I think about them like a, uh, you know, this is a, another indication of how they want to build the program. It was a deep group last year, and I think injuries really shredded it. Um, but if you look at the group as a whole, you know, Devin Neal's upside is laughable. I mean, this guy could be is going to be a pro at the at the rate that he improved in his first year. You get a guy like Ty Thomas that's established as a player, a guy that rests for over 800 yards, a guy that's local, a guy that's just completely consistent is the way I think about him. The guy is going to do his thing. So it's nice to have a reliable player, you know, that's achieved at the level that he's achieved. And then Savvy Morris is more, Morris is more like, I think him and Hyshaw have a similar profile, the big physical guys um, that, that could do some special things. I mean, Hyshaw's a guy that's already on the roster that was injured. I think he would have had a special season. We've only seen him one year and that, We've only seen him play two or three games. And in those two or three games, you could argue those were some of the worst offensive line performances Kansas has ever had. So we don't even know what Daniel Hyshaw is. He might be a pure phenom as well. So that's a deep group that I'm really excited about. I was excited coming into the season. Uh, last year, we lost all those people. Now we got a lot of new people to, to go with Devin and Hyshaw, and I'm excited about those guys as well. We kind of were curious about the, uh, I guess, balancing act that you have to do in, in recruiting as, as this all happened because – when you got Savion Morrison, it was maybe the idea was, hey, we can bring him in. He'll be the number two behind Devin Neal, and, and we'll obviously rotate multiple guys. And then Kai Thomas became available, a, a kid from Topeka and, and a really good running back. And it's kind of this balancing act of, and, and you heard Lance Leipold say this on, on Wednesday, it is media availability. Like, we want to bring in as much competition as possible. And so, on one hand, you have that. But on the other hand, you have the, like, this isn't just bringing in competition to somebody who's already here. This is bringing in competition to a guy who maybe committed to you about a month before, maybe under the, I don't know, uh, the guys that 
he was going to have the inside edge to to the number two spot. But now that Kai Thomas is here, like maybe that changes a little bit. Is that something that you have to worry about at all in recruiting? Or again, does this just kind of go back to the, you know, competition is good and if you can't make it, you can't make it? I think it's back to competition is good. This is this is more about playing time and production than anything else. And when you think about it, the year that I rushed for over a thousand yards, there was no anticipation that I was going to be a primary back. You know, they had recruited um, guys like Angus Quigley was very talented, Carmen Boyd Anderson, uh, Dante Bean, Jake Sharp. And there was five scholarship tailbacks on the roster, and me, a fullback, ended up starting. And really it was more about timing, reliability, and trust. So you can say all you want about talent, but at the end of the day, it's about who do I trust and who's going to be productive. So you need as many people in that spot as possible. That's not just about the trust and production. That's also about the, the, the violent nature of playing that position. You get hit every play. You get hit a lot. So if you're carrying the ball 15, 20 times a game over a six, seven game course, eight, nine games, eight, nine, and 10 are going to be tough for you. So you want to be able to balance that load, especially when they have varying skill sets. You know, I think that um, Devin is your do all player that, that has the tremendous upside. I always think of Ty Thomas as kind of your steady Eddie, you know, someone that can do everything really well. And then you got your power backs with, with speed and explosion, like, uh, Morris and uh, High Show. So I think it's just a complete group, and you need got different guys to do different things. Yeah, and we were talking with uh, another guest who thinks that Savion Morrison might even be able to play a little bit in the slot, which I guess would give more playing time there, but just uh, very intriguing with all the running backs coming in. Okay, uh, some of the other guys that they have coming in as far as the transfer transfer portal that I think are really interesting. We go to the defensive side of the ball, and if you look at the linebacker position, um, Eric Gilliard, you know, you look at, like, pro football focus, the pass coverage grades aren't great, but the run defense is really good. And, and you look at the experience, and you look at, um, you know, the the stats of just tackles and, and all conference picks and stuff. Is, is that a position that... You know, you feel like is is kind of night and day from where it is now to where it was last season when you had him and Craig Young, who might be more of that kind of like Nate Nate Betts like linebacker safety hybrid. Yeah, it's definitely night and day. I just thought that you know Nate Betts was a hybrid player who you know came in as a safety and couldn't find really find his footing in coverage. When he moved to the linebacker and he couldn't really find his footing as a tackler in the physical part of the game. Um, so there was some issues there. Craig Young's not going to have any such issue. <laughs> so that's definitely someone that, you know, is a sub-1100 guy, but it's 6'3", 220. You know, I had a chance to sit down with all the defensive guys and have a conversation with them. Craig Young is has Bobby Porter's eyes. <laughs> He's a big physical man. I mean, this guy is big time in every way, shape, and form. So I like him because he gives you that versatility. He's a guy that, you know, the, the Big 12 a lot of the time is about sub-packages and pace of play. So they can run really fast. They can move these guys in and out. But when you have a Craig Young, you don't have to worry about it. You can just play because he's a guy that can bump back and play in pass coverage. He's a guy that I think at some point can maybe even be a, a premium blitzer off the edge. Um, he's got the size and length to do all that. I mean, he's a, he weighs as much as Tyron Johnson. He's four inches taller. You know, so there's no reason he couldn't you know come down and rest the passer as well. Linebacker-wise, you need depth. You need depth. You need competition. It's also another physical position. It's not a position where you can have two or three guys. And last year, that's basically what we had. You know, we had, you know, Rich Miller, who I think was a standout in every way and played all over the place. 
Then you had Gavin Potter, who struggled early on and figured it out towards the end of the season. So that's two guys. At a program at this size, you need more than two guys. And Gilliard gives some depth there. Young gives some depth there. And then, you know, Kalen Gervin was just, I think he was the most impressive person I talked to. Just very mature, ready to get to work. You know, a guy that has that kind of same mentality as Rich Miller. You know, these Detroit guys, I'm a big fan of them. My best friend at KU football was Eric Washington. He was a Detroit guy. They're all about business. They're hardworking. They're coachable. And I think they'll help continue to build a special culture here at Kansas. Last uh, one that I, I want to bring up, Lonnie Phelps, the uh, redshirt junior, so you get two more years out of him from Miami of Ohio, has good sack production. Does he fill in right to what you lost with Kyron Johnson, or is it a little bit different? No, I think he steps right in. I think he's a guy that, that helps build depth there. And if you looked at you know the, what you could consider part of this class was um, the super seniors that we offered to come back. You throw Lonnie Phelps in that group with guys like Zion DeBose and guys like Caleb Sampson, Sam Bird. It's just going to be a deep, old, versatile unit, you know, with a lot of options, a lot of possibilities. Hayden Hatcher will be back. So it's just going to be a place where you can just throw guys out there to keep them fresh, and you're not going to have talent drop off. I think that was the strength of the group last year. Now they're all going to be a year older. That's not even counting, you know, guys that were freshmen last year like uh, – like Tommy Dunn Jr., who's a guy, a guy with a lot of upside. So that's a deep, talented defensive line. Lonnie Phelps only increases that, and I think he gives you a real option as a full-time starter, you know, with Malcolm Lee, Hayden Hatcher, and a couple other guys. All right, we're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I want to get to a little uh, NBA quick-fire segment. A couple quick questions for you on the NBA. The team who should trade for Ben Simmons is who? The Kings. They are abysmal, and they have nothing going on. Even They can't even figure out their young players. So I think they, that's the team that he could thrive at, and they just need a re- they need a reset. The MVP frontrunner should be who? Joel Embiid. You were, uh, we were talking before you came on here. Uh, where would you put Nikola Jokic in, in those rankings? Number two. I put him at number two. I know there's a lot of talk about box plus or minus and this, that, and the third. But the guy's counting stats are absurd, too. I mean, 27, almost 14, and almost eight assists. I mean, and the guy's only 26. He's only getting better. He's kept his team afloat with um, dealing with every version of injury you could possibly deal with. I think he's been special. I just think that there's a certain amount of defiance <laughs> in Joe Ellenby's performance, a certain amount of aggressiveness. That that appeals to the story itself. So I think it's, I think Joel has a better story than a repeat MVP for Jokic, and I think that's the primary difference. I don't really think it's in performance. All right, last one NBA Finals pick as we enclose on All Star Weekend. Almost. I'm going to repeat last year. I'm going Suns and Bucks. I think the the Suns are just consistent, and Chris Paul is just refusing to age. And on the opposite side of that, Devin Booker is getting better and better. You know, they only, they're number one by a mile. And I mean, DeAndre Ayton has been a non factor uh, due to injury, COVID, that sort of thing. Um, they've developed depth behind that with JaVale McGee and, and Sticks. And they're just a complete team that, at the end of the day, half court execution is really important in NBA playoffs. And they do that better than everyone. And the Bucks is just a talent play. I think they're 20 and 5 when they're big three play. And they're another team that's dealt with every type of injury imaginable. And I think that there's a level Giannis can get to right now that 
I don't want to say that no one can play as well as him. I just don't think it can really be matched. I mean, I think he he has a certain impact on the game that I don't think anyone can match right now. He is Brandon McAnderson, Jayhawk Radio Network, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back. BMAC, thank you so much for the time as always, man, and have a good weekend. All right, thanks for having me, bro. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. One hour down, one and a quarter to go. This is RCST. Happy Friday. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson, KLWN. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Got a big one to call tomorrow, 3 o'clock, with pregame starting at 1.30 here on KLWN. Top 10 showdown between Kansas and Baylor. Um, so, Brian, as... You know, we hear the news today about Ochag Baji being able to play for KU. I I can't help but think, and, and who knows, it, it might just be a one-game thing, and then we don't even remember it much in, in a month from now or a couple weeks. But I can't help but think, with the way the team played without Ochai on Tuesday night against Iowa State and the possible emergence of Joe Yesifu, is there, is there a case to be made that not having Ochai, obviously you'd never want that to happen, especially with, you know, the a thing like COVID, which has rampaged so many different things, but could that almost be a, a blessing in disguise for KU and what they had to endure on Tuesday night? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And, and it is kind of unique in these COVID times that we're living in because we've said that in previous seasons when a guy misses a couple of weeks with a bad ankle sprain or misses a stretch due to something else that other players get extended opportunities and you know hopefully gain a lot of individual confidence and personal growth that'll pay dividends later in the year cuz they'll have that memory of the big moment where they rose to the occasion to draw from should their number get called going forward but with covid especially now with with you know cdc guidelines of 5 days of quarantine and so long as you have a negative test you can come right back uh, if you're not displaying symptoms yada yada it's different because it's not like it was an extended spell without him. It was just one game. But I do think a lot of good came out of that one game. And, you know, it's as much about the minutes now that Joseph can carve out in place of Remy Martin, who will remain out, it sounds like. Coach didn't say definitively he was out, but he inferred that they said all along, you know, it's going to be an extended absence to get him feeling closer to 90, 95%, and he'd much rather have him as close to 100% as possible than get him back right now at 65%. So without saying Remy was out, Coach inferred that's the way it's shaping up for tomorrow, and I'm guessing that would be you know, a likely scenario on Monday as well since it's such a quick turnaround. And so to me, while it may have been Ochai's absence that opened the door for 23 minutes for Joseph, I think there's extended minutes that would have been Remy minutes that could go to him now. And we learned today that as brilliant as DeWan Harris was on Tuesday, asking him to play 19 minutes and 32 seconds in the first half and a total of 38 minutes for the game, yeah, that that's not ideal in terms of his freshness and, and the fatigue that's going to set in. There was a specific moment a couple of weeks ago where he missed a bunny at the end of the game because he just flat out didn't have any legs because he'd been on the floor too much. And so that tells me that, you know, that there's going to be an extra five or six minutes there. They'd like to trim off a wand's time that, that could be Joe minutes too. So once this team fully gets back to hundred percent health, who knows what it's going to look like exactly. But in the interim, I think Yesifu, you know, 
moves past Jalen Coleman lands a little bit for the, the Remy minutes. And, and, you know, it'll be a combination of guys as you try to get Juan down to something more manageable, like 31 or 32 minutes as opposed to 38. But uh, these are all good things. And more than anything, for anybody that spent even two minutes with Joe, he's such a great kid. He wants to do so well. And I think that he was, you know, a little nervous and trying to get acclimated and trying to impress the coach and trying to win over the fans. And, and when he was only getting, you know, two-minute bursts of playing time, he would come in and try to be perfect instead of just letting the game come to him. And when you get that extended run of 23 minutes and you can play through a missed shot or play through a mistake because, well, they need you out there and they can't turn to many more options, it, it allowed him to settle in and really put on display the type of athleticism that Kansas fans were salivating over in the offseason. And so with that comes confidence, a feeling of, of a little more security with his role on the team and and as he settles in more this is a really good player uh, he told us today his vertical leap is 43 inches and what he lacks in height he's listed at six feet that's very generous <laughs> he makes up for with with his vertical leap and and uh his explosiveness and, and so i i think that not that he's going to turn into some kind of superstar in the next eight weeks but we're going to see a bigger role carved out for him down the stretch of this season. And now, hopefully, this is a guy that's very much in the mix next season. Whereas, I think a couple of weeks ago, you're kind of wondering, is this a fit? And and now you see that you know what he's turning in on the practice court and what's now paying dividends in the games is going to eventually you know, get Joseph Yesitu to the type of role he first envisioned. As far as this game on Saturday against Baylor, uh, who is the player that, KU has to have a strong performance from uh, to win the game? Wow. That's, that's a great question because Baylor can beat you in a number of ways. If I sit here and talk about you know, how we need to handle Akinjo, the transfer from Arizona, you know, defensively who matches up, and you know, how, how do we balance out what he brings on the other side? Well, you know, Baylor could be just as impressive with the length they have now when, when you look at the additions of, of, of Sohan, and, and obviously Chacha was a, a much more impressive player this season than last. And, of course, Phil Thamba's back. I, it's hard to pinpoint matchup-wise just you know one specific guy for Kansas because I think Baylor can beat you in a multitude of ways and we're still waiting to hear on the status of a couple of their stars that sat out on Monday night LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler but to me I I think all the length that they have makes guys like David McCormick and uh, and Jalen Wilson and the role they have on the glass so important. We could sit here and talk about how the Baylor guards are the straws that stir the drink, and that would be a perfectly acceptable answer to your question, that our guard play versus their guards, uh, which is something they've become more known for of late, is as important as anything. But I would say that the way that, uh, you know, when Kansas is rebounding at its, at its fullest, and you got David McCormick and Jalen Wilson both in the top three of rebounding in league play, it forces the opposition to one and outs offensively. It gives Kansas additional possessions with offensive rebounding. And in a game like this where you're so evenly matched across the board, 
two or three extra possessions in a game because you know you beat them to that 50-50 ball or you won the battle on the boards uh, it, just enough to give you a few more chances. That could tilt the scales on the whole thing. And so, you know, I, I'd love to see Kansas go out and and maintain you know control of the boards on both ends of the floor. It, it'll obviously help the guards defensively if there aren't you know two to three chances offensively for the Bears on a given possession because we've seen Kansas defend first shot defense really well at times this year and then get beat because of an offensive rebound. Twenty eight seconds into the clock, it, you know, leads to a stick back and all that effort was wasted. If Kansas can control the boards with those two guys, um, I like their chances and that's one of many keys in this one. I think it's almost impossible to break it down to just one spot or one key matchup because there's so many with such a talented roster on both sides. But that would be one I would start with. And, you know, it's kind of coming waves for KU, but you look at league play, and those two have been about as good as any in the league. Hopefully they'll show that tomorrow. We're talking with Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Yeah, the, the guy for me is David McCormick. Um, and maybe with, with Jalen Wilson, you mentioned uh, Sohan and they have Kendall Brown as well, a guy that KU was in on in, in the recruiting process. And both those guys uh, can be really athletic for men. And so for Jalen getting on the glass. But when you look at Baylor, they're top five in the country in offensive rebound rate. And for KU, they need to keep them off the glass. You're, you're, you're not going to totally keep them off the glass, but can you limit them a little bit more? And something we were talking about earlier in the show, um, when you look at all their losses this season, I say all, there's just three of them. Of those three, like all of them are on the lower ends for them in terms of their offensive rebound rate. So I kind of look to Dave, and, and I look back to last year, too. In the game that you lost in Waco, he only had six points. In the game that you won in Allen Fieldhouse on senior night, he had 20 points, and he went 8 of 10 from the field. Yeah, yeah no doubt. It's, it's, it's a pretty stark contrast when we're at our best and when we're at our worst and, and where David factors into that and and that's where you hope that you can get some consistency there but he's had some dominating rebounding performances and I don't expect tomorrow to be that where you know he's at four now in our eight league games where he's had 14 rebounds or more I don't necessarily expect that but you know when you look at those those conference numbers he, he's first in the league Jalen's third in the league Mark Smith of the Wildcats is the only guy in between them he's six four by the way which is interesting but uh, but yeah, Dave, David and Jalen, you know, in league player combining for roughly 18 boards total between the two of them per game. You may need even more of that tomorrow because of the great offensive rebounding team that you mentioned that Baylor is, and and that just you know that that going along with our first shot defense would be a great recipe for success here if we're forcing them to one and outs. And and when you see the polar opposite of that, when we're not rebounding to our capability, or if David gets off to a rough start and he's turning the ball over or missing shots and he gets pulled and suddenly you give up that size inside, you know, while KJ can certainly be a very capable rebounder and all that, I, I, I think we're not playing at our optimal, you know, potential level if, if we don't have Jalen and, and David both out there. And KJ certainly capable. Mitch and stretches has been capable. I thought Tuesday night was probably Mitch's most frustrating game of the season, and he would tell you that too. But uh, I think it does start with David, and, and uh, hopefully we'll see him in a good headspace. I love the article that Matt Tate wrote. Um, it, it had a, a great Q&A with, with his mother, Janine, talking about the, the confidence of David and some of the things he does to get in the right headspace and some of the advice she gives him as they check in daily. And, and um, she had a great quote. She said, you know, yesterday is gone. Um, we have no promise of tomorrow, but, but today is truly a gift 
That's why they call it the present. How great is that? Like, I, I think that that's so spot on. That's why they call it the present. And so embrace your opportunity each and every day. Don't worry about what happened the previous game. If the game didn't go your way, don't look at the message boards. Don't check your Twitter notifications. Just focus on the gift you're given today. And if you do, you know, the tomorrows that you're giving them in the future are going to work themselves out. Make the most of what you have in the here and the now. I thought that was just sage wisdom, and, and I thought it, it was it was a great article that explained kind of a human element of everything he's gone through over the course of a career that's that's had some ups and downs and some twists and turns and some inconsistencies. But at the end of the day, you saw how good he was a year ago when he was the most improved player in the league and led the league in field goal percentage and was the second team All Big Twelve guy that, that set the stage for him to be preseason first team. It, it was this time of year when he kind of kicked it into high gear. I think it was twelve out of the last 14 games he did double figures and i'm hoping that's the case for him and obviously it's a great chance to showcase it tomorrow we thought that might be the case last saturday when he went opposite of oscar shibway we knew it was going to be his toughest matchup but we hoped maybe that would pull the best out of him and then things weren't going well and he sat for the last 16 or 17 minutes of that game which was really a surprise but i think we're realizing just how important um, he is and how if Kansas could have the balance of playing through him while also having the great perimeter play that's been a story you know, throughout this season, what a complete team this Kansas club can be. So let's hope it's more of that tomorrow, more of that version of David, and uh, let's embrace the gift of the present. That's why they call today the present. I love that. Love that. All right, uh, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here uh, real quick before we let you go. Brian, one last thing with Adam Dravetta. All right, Brian, one last thing. You've angered a wizard. Which is a scarier place for him to banish you to, the portal or the bubble? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know wizards had that uh, that type of uh, control. They, they, the they have all sorts of crazy powers, man. <laughs> man, I, I think uh, the bubble isn't that bad, to be honest. We, we just did those three games down there in Orlando on the campus where the NBA bubble was in 2020. And they got everything you need down there. I mean, it was it was amazing. The golf courses and the different arenas and interesting, the food amenities. Interesting that's Mouse, the direction you went because I was thinking the bubble is in. You're unsure if you're going to make the tournament or not. That kind of bubble. Oh, okay. Okay. The that, but but the you, I mean, I, I'm sure just as many people, if not more, thought the kind of bubble you're thought, thinking of. I just totally blanked on that. <laughs> that's funny. Why? Well, I, I thought of that probably because we were just down there, and I remember looking around thinking, you know, this would have been pretty cool. You know, it's obviously not ideal, and, uh, you know, they didn't have fans during that NBA playoff run or anything, but they had everything they needed down there otherwise, and a uh, pretty ideal campus setting that Disney has there in Orlando. But uh, between the NCAA bubble or the portal, I wouldn't want to go to the portal because I'd be leaving the place I love. So, so put me on the bubble. Give me the Hall of Fame head coach, and we'll play our way off that bubble and all the way to the Final Four. How about that? I like it. There we go. He is Brian Haney. Brian, quick message from uh, Nate Miller. Yeah, no doubt. My man Nate Miller does such a tremendous job with the Miller Retirement Group. And just like the Jayhawks are working on their game plan to beat the Bears tomorrow, you too need a game plan for your retirement and your financial future. So sit down with these guys today at the Miller Retirement Group. You can find them online at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Located right here in Lawrence off New Hampshire Street. They're some of the best people. I really trust their insight uh, looking at my financial future, too. So check them out today.
He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, that is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is KLWN's RCST.